Welcome back to Vandenberg Flash Focus, your source for fast and focused foreign policy analysis on breaking news around the world. I'm your host, Samuel Byers, and I'm excited to be joined today by two guests to discuss this weekend's past elections in Taiwan, in which current Vice President Lai Ching-te was elected to succeed his boss, President Tsai Ing-wen. Lai's election is the first time a ruling party, in this case the Democratic Progressive Party, has won a third consecutive presidential contest. However, at the same time, the DPP lost seats in the parliament. Joining us today, we have Russell Shao. Executive Director of the Global Taiwan Institute and Editor-in-Chief of its regular Global Taiwan Brief. I'm also glad to welcome Hudson Institute Senior Fellow Riley Walters, who is concurrently a non-resident Senior Fellow at the Global Taiwan Institute. Russell, Riley, welcome to Flash Focus. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Sam. Riley, I wanted to start off with you, since I understand you've just returned from visiting Taiwan for the elections. Can you give our listeners a short recap of the candidates and parties and the results and maybe how Taiwan's political culture and dynamics differ from what we're familiar with in the United States? Of course. Yeah, happy to go over uh, some of the things I saw last week. As you mentioned already, William Lai of the Democratic People's Party, the current vice president, is now the president-elect uh, this is, uh, you know, people are calling this the breaking of the eight-year curse, where uh, no party uh, in Taiwan has ever uh, had more than two consecutive terms in the presidential office. And so this is a pretty big deal, um, I think, by not just Taiwanese standards, but international standards as well. Um, the main opponents uh, that he had to face for the president's, uh, presidential uh, office were uh, Hoyo Yi of the uh, Kuomintang, the 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 sort of the other largest party uh, that's been uh, the DPP's uh, main rival for the last uh, 30 years, and then the uh, the third candidate of the Taiwan People's Party, Ko Wenzhe, was sort of the uh, the dark horse of this race. This is you know this was the first uh, sorry the second time Taiwan ever had three political uh, uh, candidates really uh, in modern history of, uh, uh, going for the president's uh, presidential office. The last time was in uh, 2000 when uh, the DPP also won. Uh, as you mentioned already, uh, so the, the William Lai of the DPP, he did win. He won with about a 41% approval rating, uh, which is slightly actually better than the last time there was a three-way race for the president's uh, office. Uh, but also, as you mentioned, the legislative body, the legislative yuan, kind of fell, uh, the chips fell a little bit differently for the DPP in that one. So uh, what ended up happening is the DPP actually lost about 10 seats, while the Kuomintang caught, uh, 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 increased about 14. And so the, the KMT, or the Kuomintang, now has uh, the uh, highest number of seats in the legislative body with 52, the DPP with 51. While the, deep, the TPP, the Taiwan's People Party, thou, the head of their party, uh, Ko Wenzhe, you know, while he didn't win the presidency, you know, it's, uh, it is sort of um, endearing that his party has picked up now eight seats within the legislative yuan, which is the highest uh, single representation, sorry, the highest third party opposition in the legislative yuan since constitutional reforms about 20 years ago, which uh, might signal, you know, potentially the the future of a new third party uh, in Taiwan politics, and so um, that's kind of the mix as is now. You've got the TPP in the presidential office. You've got the KMT, who's while they don't have a simple majority in the legislative body, 
uh, they are pretty aligned normally with the TPP. And so you could see a lot of coalition building to have them uh, have more of a say in uh, the legislative uh, efforts. And then uh, again, as I just mentioned, the TPP themselves uh, have also picked up a seat. So uh, <laughs> some of the folks I was with uh, in Taiwan, uh, one of them came up with the idea that this is an election where everyone wins. And so we've kind of seen that now. So turning to the kind of international picture, Russell, can you give us a little bit of a view on the reaction from Taiwan's neighbors, uh, from uh, mainland China, from, uh, you know, Taiwan's other democratic neighbors and, and other countries around the world? Yeah, absolutely, Sam. And, and I'd love to pick up on some of the points, uh, excellent observations that uh, that Riley just made, too, as well, if I may. So in terms of the uh, reactions to the elections, I think, let me start with uh, Taiwan's uh, neighbors in the Indo-Pacific region. Um, you know, I think the the response to the election has been, uh, you know, overwhelmingly positive. You know, the uh, the various governments in you know Japan, South Korea, uh, Australia, um, you know, uh, Singapore, uh, you know, to include uh, also the Philippines have all issued uh, various uh, uh, statements concerning uh, the elections and congratulating the president-elect Lai Qingde in his uh, electoral victory. I think most notably, and I want to highlight this, was actually a statement uh, from the Philippines. Uh, The Philippines president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., uh, actually had you know, issued a, uh, a a message stating, uh, congratulating the president-elect Lai Qingde on his election, and you know, calling for closer cooperation and and strengthening mutual interests. Uh, you know, this is at least in the case of um, the Philippines, uh, you know, quite unprecedented, and and I think this again, you know, further underscores the uh, the, the increased uh, interest and in, and in, in concern. Uh, you know, for peace and stability in, ta- in the Taiwan Strait and, and support for, for, for Taiwan's uh, democracy in the face of these, these collective uh, challenges uh, and threats that uh, democracies in Asia uh, face. And so obviously, you know, the PRC the, has been on a full frontal, uh, you know, sort of uh, assault on um, really vilifying all these congratulatory marks that uh, you know these various governments have made to uh, show support, uh, you know, for Taiwan's uh, democratic rights. Uh, you know, really trying to intimidate and, and coerce, uh, you know, these governments from in, interacting uh, with 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 Taiwan. Overall, you know, though this the overall reaction from the international community has. Have been strong. Uh, they underscore, I think, the the growing importance of Taiwan's democracy and peace and stability. You know, I think these are are, are all the sort of trend lines that uh, that we can observe from these uh, from the most recent reactions to to the elections. So, looking forward, uh, I'm curious if either of you can tell me a little bit about. Uh, what lies victory is is likely to mean for Taiwan's relationship with the United States? Uh, I would assume as an incumbent vice president, we would see a good deal of continuity when he uh, when he takes over from uh, Tsai Ing-wen. But are there any areas where he's likely uh, to differ from his predecessor? Um, is there anything that he's kind of called out on the campaign trail uh, when it comes to uh, the U.S.-Taiwan relationship? 
Well, if I may, um, you know, I think really the uh, the campaign of uh, Lai Qingde, from what I could observe in you know both reading the uh, statements that uh, the president-elect now had previously made, as well as those of his campaign, uh, uh, um, you know, staff. Uh, really underscored uh, continuity uh, in terms of uh, the policy framework uh, that uh, the incoming administration will adopt in addressing cross-strait relations, and, and certainly in terms of uh, relations uh, with uh, the United States. Uh, essentially, you know, the uh, the president-elect uh, uh, committed uh, to maintaining the status quo as established by the foundation uh, laid by uh, President Tsai Ing-wen. Uh, you know, he, he himself, as well as his campaign staff, have uh, noted that um, that they, they will continue to adhere uh, to the ROC constitutional framework in the as a basic formulation of their of their cross trade policy. This was a fundamental pillar uh, in you know, President Tsai's uh, approach. Can you explain that framework uh, just for those who don't know the context? Right. So, you know, basically in the inauguration of uh, President Tsai Ing-wen back in 2016, she laid out her cross-strait policy um, uh, as based on, you know, three essential pillars, right? Um, you know, one, um, you know, was the, uh, the historical fact of the uh, meetings and understandings reached in the meeting uh, leading up to 1992. Uh, those were negotiations uh, conducted by the KMT with the CCP um, uh, to include also the um, the act governing relations between uh, the people of the Taiwan area and the mainland area, essentially a, a domestic law that governs uh, you know, cross-strait relations uh, and regulates cross-strait relations. This provides the legal basis uh, for <coughs> for for cross-strait ties. And thirdly, and uh, is uh, adhering uh, to the ROC constitutional framework. Now, a point of of uh, domestic political debates and in cross-strait relations was, you know, the issue of Taiwan's uh, de jure independence. And uh, essentially, that issue has been set aside because adherence to the ROC constitutional framework means that there will be no constitutional revision. And for there to be, per se, a de jure declaration of independence, there would necessarily have to be a constitutional revision. By committing to adhering to the constitutional framework and how they address cross-strait relations, uh, this is a, a basic uh, commitment to the adherence to the cross-strait, um, you know, uh, the fundamental tenet of the cross-strait relationship as it stands right now. Now, of course, the, uh, of the DPP's position, as it somewhat differs somewhat from the, the, the KMT or or the TPP for that matter, um, but there, I would add that there is growing convergence in terms of the position, the policy stances taken by uh, these respective parties. Is that uh, you know under the DPP's uh, formulation, uh, Taiwan is already an independent and, and sovereign uh, nation with its official name being Republic of China. So as such, 
uh, you know, the party in terms of its political platform, um, you know, uh, adheres to the fact uh, that it would be unnecessary to uh, for it to declare, um, you know, uh, de jure independence. So, Riley, perhaps you could uh, elaborate a little bit more on on that from from your perspective. Uh, when you were talking with people in Taiwan, um, you know, ahead of the election, after the election, uh, uh, what is how, how did foreign policy uh, play into their thinking um, as they cast their votes? Yeah, um, foreign policy, that's always a <laughs> that's always an interesting one. So, um, you know, one of the things I wrote in uh, The Messenger just before the election, an article called uh, Taiwan's election matters for America. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please do, please do. It's also on the Hudson website. Um, uh, basically, it talks about what to expect, and as uh, as uh, Russell already uh, articulated, you know, for example, the the if if a lie uh, uh, ticket won, you know, we could expect to see a lot of continuity from the side administration in this sort of America forward uh, foreign policy, uh, and so I, I think. Um, I think we're going to continue to see that we're going to. But what makes things interesting, as I mentioned already, is the plurality uh, in the legislative yuan. So we're going to have to. One of the things that was really interesting, I think, about this election was um, I think the candidates actually all really focused on a lot of the same issues. And for for most of the issues, they were really only just, you know, uh, uh, just a, a daylight apart on some of these. You know, they they recognize that the defense of Taiwan is important. They recognize that the economy uh, is stagnating and that wages and job growth are important. They they all recognize that, you know, there's not enough houses <laughs> or at least affordable housing uh, in Taiwan. And so, you know, they they all kind of focus on those those issues. Uh, Really, the one of the biggest issue differentiate, differentiating issues was the cross-strait relations, and so uh, what I think you know this is just from my own personal uh, experience, and so it doesn't necessarily necessarily capture all the sentiment within Taiwan, but maybe you can make the argument that it does, given the way that voters that the election results turned out. But the sense was uh, with a lot of the people that I spoke with was. They, I think, appreciated the DPP leadership, and so that's why they wanted to continue with uh, William Lai as the president. But there, as Russell was already saying, there was there was sort of this political fatigue with the DPP as well. And, and you know, seeing how the last eight years, some things have changed, some things really haven't. Some for the better, some for the worse. And so, uh, you know, they would vote almost uh, a double ticket you know they would they would vote they would cast a vote for William Lai as the president but you could also cast a vote for which party you preferred and so that's why we saw this huge swing between the DPP and the KMT TPP and so uh, just as a little bit of background um, I think maybe Russell mentioned this but um, you know the KMT TPP is also very much aligned on on some of the same issues and so that's why you saw a lot of uh, the, the support for for not just you know single KMT but TPP as well and so that's that's the general gist of it you know it, besides that uh, we, we talk to any Taiwan uh, expert and they'll tell you that the people of Taiwan don't necessarily feel threatened by China. In fact, um, you know, a lot of them, uh, you know, feel uh, sort of a familiarity with uh, China, given uh, the cultural background and history. 
um, you know, the, 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 the way that the KMT and TPP articulated their uh, political platforms was that, um, you know, they, they themselves could begin negotiating with, uh, with, with Beijing uh, to start launching more uh, economic, uh, social, uh, trade and investment programs that could help back to the Taiwanese economy, help Taiwan um, uh, find new job opportunities, trade opportunities, uh, wage growth, things like that. And so uh, I think you see a little bit of this. Um, I think there's there's certainly uh, a hope that, um, you know, maybe there China can still be a, a, a important uh, economic partner of, of Taiwan, which in some degree it really is still, even though that is diminishing. Um, but at the same time, there's there there are still the the more recent concerns, which aren't just limited to Taiwan, about too much economic reliance on China. And so it's it's you know there, there's there's hope. So there's sort of this dual mentality. That there's hope that China can still offer some growth, but at the same time, uh, you know, being wary of the political changes that are coming out of Beijing because they very much are changing. Uh, in Beijing. And so uh, it's like, it's a good adage, like trust but verify, that kind of thing, I, or hope for the best, prepare for the worst, um, something like that. Yes, and if I can make, uh, General Secretary Xi Jinping uh, has already indicated in authoritative uh, party journals that he intends on broadening and deepening uh, uh, CCP's United Front activities uh, against Taiwan, uh, trying to of course, amplify and and uh, amplify the voices in support of, you know, uh, cross-strait unification uh, and isolating, you know, so-called successionists, you know, or Taiwan independence advocates uh, within Taiwan and and broadly by, you know, front United Front. We're talking about a series of of of, of active measures um, that are going to, intended to uh, both. Uh, uh, to 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 in, to indoctrinate and uh, and and mobilize, uh, you know, uh, forces to support the, the the PRC's objective. And this is not an issue that is uh, isolated uh, to Taiwan. Uh, this is uh, a broader issues, set of issues that uh, it is engaged in. And you know, with many uh, important elections happening across the world, I think democracies. Uh, in Asia, in particular, are increasingly concerned uh, by CCP political warfare uh, in their um, democratic and electoral processes. On that note, uh, you've both given us a lot to think about. Taiwan is obviously going to be top of mind for foreign policy makers in Washington going forward for the foreseeable future. So uh, plenty to think about for now. And uh, we hope to have you back again sometime uh, soon to talk again. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Flash Focus is a production of the Vandenberg Coalition. To connect and stay up to date on our work, follow our account on X at Vandenberg Co. Or visit www.vandenbergcoalition.org 
To learn more and subscribe to our weekly newsletter on foreign policy and national security, Beyond the Water's Edge. Until next time, I'm Samuel Byers, and this is Vandenberg Flash Focus.